1: Hey, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Runaway Fantasy Football Show. Obviously, the off-season edition, the first one uh, with Jim Coventry and myself, excited to get you started. We're talking about the transactions, the nitty-gritty free agency stuff. We're gonna need to the draft as well, too, and, and what teams will prepare for. Jim's got all the analysis. Obviously, he's been watching the games every single day, it feels like for the last six months now. We'll get us all prepared for 2023. Excited to get this started. Before we do, let's get that music going. Welcome to the February 15th edition of the Roto-Wire NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. It's the first off-season edition of the Jim and Joe show here. Uh, got every Wednesday going on Obviously, the Dynasty coverage. Alan's got that covered on Tuesday. The literally everything coverage, the everything bagel, so to speak, is your John and Mario show. We're going to, have to figure out somewhere between Jim where you and I can kind of fix this together. But I'm really excited to start this up with you. Uh, we're diving in, obviously, into the team constructions and what we envision some of these teams will look like. As the offseason progresses, our expectations as we kind of gear up through it. So we'll carry you through the entire way, the entire offseason. we got you covered on Wednesdays. I'm excited to do this with you, Jim. uh, And I'm looking forward to all your analysis and expertise when it comes to uh, really between the tape footage and everything else like that.
2: Well, this will be fun because we always can't look forward until we look backward. All season, we're in the present moment. We're in that hybrid point where we have to take all that information as one big conglomerate make something out of it, and help us with our analysis going forward. So this will be a blast. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, we're going to start with the AFC South division first. And I actually – it was intentional. I wasn't just doing some weird uh, alphabetical thing where we're starting AFC. The way I had kind of planned this out for the foreseeable weeks, obviously we have the combine two weeks, which um, John going to be covering extensively from the rookie draft perspective. But really that lead-in to mid-March when uh, the new year officially starts, free agency officially begins – I want to have a lot of these divisions covered, more or less. There's a lot of intrigue, I think, specifically in the AFC South. Coaching changes, a division that is more or less up for grabs, even though there's lesser teams, and you could kind of say the same thing about the AFC South, too. I, I think there's a lot that's happening in the AFC South, and it's also not discussed very often because you have the number two overall team, at least from draft order, right? The Texans have our four overall team with the Colts, a team many believe are going to be falling down the Titans, and we'll talk about what that roster might look like Uh, as we really gear into free agency. And then obviously your Jaguars, who uh, surprised a lot of people, uh, five out of the last six games winning to get that AFC South crown. And then were really competitive, not just against the Chargers, obviously in that collapse uh, by Los Angeles, but also in their loss eventually to the Chiefs uh, throughout three quarters of that contest. So with that all being said, I I did want to start with the Colts, Jim. And I I know it's only because we just had the coaching news officially announced that – uh, Indianapolis is bringing on Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles to be the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts. I don't know, uh, if you recall, but obviously Frank Reich, offensive coordinator for the Eagles, head coach, didn't quite work out. Uh, the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni, offensive coordinator for the Colts to be the head coach of the Eagles. So it feels like time is a, a, a flat circle at this point, a flat circle, a flat line with how, uh, both these teams are going back and forth. What do you think the Shane Steichen hire means? For the Colts and, and generally not just how they're going to operate this offseason, but specifically the offense, which was, uh, I think, mundane as a polite way of putting it.
2: Well, Steichen has been an outstanding offensive mind since his days in Los Angeles with the Chargers. He has always made the most of his personnel, but I think his biggest pressing matter is to evaluate the current state of his offense. I don't know that he could come in with a pre-packaged system and say, this is the way we're going. Because the biggest issue, as with all NFL teams, is the quarterback position. And it is not a healthy quarterback position. And I felt bad for Matt Ryan. Look, Matt Ryan was near the end. But when he came to that franchise, it was under the premise, we will have a strong running game. We will have an excellent offensive line. You will be able to use play action, the middle of the field, and you will be protected. They pretty much came through on none of those. So now (laughs) we'll find out what the quarterback situation will be and the offensive line, which we'll talk about as well. The offensive line had a really, really rough year. And so Steichen's going to have to find out, was this a matter of a couple of really good players just having down seasons or playing through some unknown injuries or were they really trending downward and he's going to have to figure that out because to craft his offense, he has to know what he has right now. It does have to be Jonathan Taylor based, but again, depending on his evaluation, we're hoping that he can have some levers to push right now. It does not look good.
1: So I appreciate that. And and I did a lot of, um, like background work on, on the logistics here. So a lot of this is put together by Spotrack or over the cap, uh, or a, a track I should say, or over the cap. So the Colts are at 12 million positive in cap space. And I think it's important to say the positive part because there's a number of teams as we continue on throughout this venture in the offseason who are in negative cap space. I mean, my Packers being one, obviously, Saints famous for that regard too. Colts are positive in the cap space area at $12 million right now. You mentioned Matt Ryan. More than likely, the Colts move on from their veteran quarterback. That would save them an additional $17 million, I think. Almost $30 million cap. That'd be close to top 10, I think, right around the figures. Again, just by cutting uh, Matt Ryan. From a key free agent perspective, you got Yannick Nagakwe, who they trade Rocky Sin for uh, to the Raiders. And the Raiders had signed Chandler Jones, up their pass, rush the air to move. Nagakwe. And he actually looked pretty good. One of the better parts. And we'll we'll get to the defense in a little bit from the Colts' perspective because that was not the area in which the Colts finished four twelve one. one It was not because of their defense. Uh Nagakwe, one free agent. Matt Pryor, one of their tackles, another free agent as well, too. Then he had their middle linebacker, Okariki, Bobby Okariki. I don't know, inconsistent at times at the very least. And then Paris Campbell might be the more intrig- uh, most intriguing, from a fantasy perspective. Uh he is a free agent as well this year. So of those players, I would imagine Nagakwe is probably the most uh, influential defensively that I, I could see them shelling out money to. But if you are rebuilding a little bit, Nagakwe's, is, I think, pushing his age 27 season or close to it. Um, hasn't always produced uh, in the NFL thus far. He's been inconsistent, I think, is the very best way of putting it. Could command a bit more money, too. I mean, we've seen pass rushers, especially for some of these teams like the Bears, for example, who are low on talent and have lots of money, overpay with the idea that they can scheme more sacks or they have somebody along those same lines talent-wise. Do you feel like Ngakwe is going to be the biggest uh, free agent possibility that they have to consider, or, or is it more like a Paris Campbell uh, or Okereke, something like that?
2: Well, the money that they are going to project to be under the cap, it's not much. And they have to pay for their rookie class. And right now they project have the four pick that's going to cost them. That's not a cheap pick. And so, and they are going to pay other draft picks. So there's going to be a number of millions of that gone already. And so there is an inherent problem there. Now understand with the salary cap, teams can always be creative. The, Indianapolis Colts are in an odd place right now because we really don't know what the direction of their franchise is. Yannick Ngakwe, as you mentioned, has been an inconsistent pass rusher during his career, but those types of players are very valuable teams that are competing for Super Bowls. They're Mm -hmm. not necessarily players that you want to break the bank for as a building block of the team that you currently have, which is in the state of transition. I don't think they can afford to spend money on really, I know he, can play frequent downs he's not a run defender so to pay money for really a situational pass rusher I don't think they have that That up that priority. And then the Paris Campbell issue is so he stayed healthy for the first time in his career. Yeah. But he wasn't the explosive player. He was in those few games that we saw. When we saw a limited opportunity, we saw a player that had some real juice. He played well as a slot receiver, but we didn't see those game-breaking plays. And I wonder, although he's young, if that litany of injuries has not taken away some of the explosiveness that he had. So realistically, they don't have a game changer, it seems. It seems they have a one-year reliable slot receiver, and I don't know what premium you put on that. I don't know how much they're going to address keeping any of those free agents. They may just let them all walk and look elsewhere, or as we said, they may not have the money to really make a dent in the class unless they're buying some of those second- and third-tier tight ends now that might be the way to go spending your money and shopping on those players they they're at the point where they have some infrastructure pieces they definitely can bolster the defense especially
1: yeah it's it's really interesting um the paris campbell conundrum because on the one hand uh finally healthy i think the second round draft capital they had now four years ago more or less gone i mean if you're going to use paris campbell it's not with the intention of making your second round pick look good it's because he's the best receiver and on one hand. Campbell was the other hand, you look at the rest of the depth chart they had behind Paris Campbell, Ashton Doolin, for example, never really materialized. They had a lot of other uh, mid to late draft picks that never really emerged either. H- how much is it Paris Campbell being pushed from a talent perspective or him actually being the best talent at receiver. And I think that's also uh, kind of compiled with the fact that Matt Ryan was just so awfully bad. That whole quarterback situation between Nick Foles, uh, Matt Ryan, and then the, the rookie that I'm playing as well too. It was, it was a mess. I mean, just all around a mess. I have a hard time trying to figure out how good Paris Campbell might be and how good Paris Campbell might be in an actually good offense relative to a guy like Alex Pierce and Michael uh, Pittman who are both bigger body receivers and kind of fit things a little bit easier. The other part is this free agent market at wide receiver, pretty lame, right? Like it's, it's Juju Smith-Schuster. It's Alan Lazard. Uh, I like DJ Shark. I think he could get a, a surprisingly large deal from some team. But those are your top options. I mean, like it's very possible some team could see the speed that Campbell has, his ability to play in the slot effectively, and and yeah, we'll pay eight plus million, ten plus million dollars. Christian Kirk got a massive deal. I don't think they're relative to the same price at all. But like, we can see crazy things happen. This is not this is the NFL. It's not surprising at all, especially at a, a premium position like wide receiver.
2: You know, I'll, probably last thing I'll say is I don't know that Paris Campbell gets much more than a bottom type contract wherever mm. he goes. Because remember, he just has one season of health. That's it. He played 15 games in 2019 through 2021, and then he played 17 last year. So great, but he wasn't even 10 yards per catch. And again, we could blame Matt Ryan, but the one thing we thought we had with Paris Campbell was get the ball in his hands and allow his dynamic explosiveness to take over. And again, situation was not great, but he certainly didn't elevate much around him and I didn't see many plays at all where I'm like, oh, man, that's hmm. Paris Campbell. Just did not feel it. So I think it's going to be a, a very, very um, team-friendly deal wherever he goes. And based on that, there is a good chance he does stick in Indy because he may not have a market.
1: Well, that's, that's a really good point. Um, where were you on the emergence, or lack thereof, of Alec Pierce, their second-round rookie receiver, Looked really good, I think, back to that Broncos game. What was it, week four, week five? Nobody should have watched that game. It was awful. Uh, Amazon Prime made sure that we should all hate ourselves a lot come Thursday Night Football, but that was the prime example of that contest. But he was big and, and was able to go up and get the catch. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, Al Pierce is something. And then there was like this rookie wall that he hit towards the end of the latter half of the season. Maybe some pass interference calls that got in the way or just some unlucky things. But he never really popped off the page or off the tape. Do you feel like that, like Alec Pierce is a cornerstone offensively alongside Michael Pittman? Or do the Colts really need to be diving into the upper echelon of the receivers once again, this draft or free agency?
2: So it's very difficult to critically assess Alec Pierce's season. We saw him used as a downfield boundary threat much of the time. The problem was, as the offensive line had issues with blocking, defenses realized that and they brought the heat they also realized that Matt Ryan was unable to connect then we saw Sam Ellinger in there and (laughs) Nick Foles for us a splash and realistically the quarterbacks had no time to throw and when you have a player who's counting on downfield passes that's problematic now they snuck a deep shot against Dallas on that Sunday night game Dallas was like Probably just resting on their heels, thinking, Oh, Matt Ryan. And he got away with it. But after that, there wasn't much to be had till garbage time. But Alec Pierce, from what we saw, he does use his 6'3", 211 frame well. He uses 4'4", 140 time well, and he does get down the boundary. It's just going to be a matter of will they be able to take shots? It's going to you have to be improved protection or a quarterback they can get it there. But I think for what they drafted, they have to be pleased in what they saw. And I don't feel, and, and I get what you're saying, when you, of course. When you say he hit the wall, you see the numbers. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Right. I really think it was more situationally based that they just didn't have the wherewithal to be able to throw the ball downfield and basically took away his greatest assets.
1: Okay, so a bit more of a buy low situation for Alec Pierce. I liked him so much as a prospect that I, I have a hard time giving up on him. And that, that Broncos game, Will be like forever etched in my brain for some reason that uh, I mean he really went up and got the ball and that was the last thing that we needed to see. We knew he's fast, uh, obviously the 44-140, four, four, that you know confirmed that part of it. He plays big. Can he actually make the reception receptions in the clutch? And he was so. I, I'm with you on that. You mentioned the offensive line, and I think that kind of is the key part for the Colts. I, I don't have the figures in front of me. That has to be one of the highest paid offensive lines in the league, if they are not the highest, and we're downright miserable, like you mentioned. Running attack, not many holes relative to the past years. They also allowed the second most sacks in the league. Part of that obviously can blame on Matt Ryan and his inability to be mobile. Uh, I didn't feel like Sam Ellinger really had opportunities to move around in that pocket either. And that was the the whole point of playing Sam Ellinger for the games of the day was because he's supposedly a little bit faster. Nick Fole's the same way, and Nick Fole's kind of just like uh gave up which is like a, at some point in that season he started as a up. whatever I could just you know throw interceptions doesn't matter this offensive line so bad how do the Colts go around improving that given all the money they've invested in those positions up front
2: you know the the chipping away of the line started a couple years ago when Costanza walked in free agency mm. and they figured they still had enough bodies and it, it did make sense that they had enough stars on the line well realistically The one who played the best was right tackle Braden Smith, and I don't know that they were expecting a ton out of him. It was center Ryan Kelly and left guard Quentin Nelson, two players who were universally considered among the best interior linemen in the NFL. And both of them came came in with barely adequate seasons. They were had no level of dominance as run blockers or pass protectors. And with the players around them needing them to lift the line without them being able to lift the line, there became a number of holes. The team stunted against them. It was like the communication was problematic and it was maybe because Kelly and Nelson were losing some confidence because Kelly's the one that would be calling the signals and you would think at least they could galvanize the line. And it just really wasn't working. Bernard Raymond did step in the like left tackle, and as the season went on, he got a little bit better, which was fine. But, but realistically, that line never got on track. They're As we said at the beginning of the show, they're going to have to assess where Kelly and Nelson are at. If they it was just a blip, it was a weird season, and they're back to normal. The line is fine because Braden Smith played well. Raymond stepped up. It would be okay. But if Kelly and Nelson are starting to trend down, the, if the interior line does not have their presence, it's going to be a real problem because are going to continue to stunt the heck out of them and pressure the middle.
1: Okay. That, that, I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm curious, again, given the cap situation, about $30 million once they cut Matt Ryan, which is still not great because you mentioned with the rookie class, you have to factor that into the equation too. There's ways, especially in the NFL, to maneuver. And if they thought, oh, let's get a left tackle or right guard, you know, premium left tackles go for way more money. I feel like that's unlikely. And it leads me to my next question. And I, I'm, I'm jumping around the page, but I think it makes sense. Everyone's assuming the Colts are going to draft a quarterback with the number four overall pick. Couldn't you see them go a-, a tackle or or even trade back and get a higher end guard? I mean, there's a lot of question marks at quarterback. Uh, with this draft class, and we'll let the guys like John and Mario really handle that over the coming weeks. I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to take a QB. Even though I, I get when you're drafting number four overall with the QBs that they have or don't have, it's the assumption. I, I'm not. I'm not ruling it out. I, I don't think they're going to be a team that trades up for one. I guess I'll say it that way.
2: It all depends on from an organizational standpoint when they scout the quarterback class, if they feel that there is a franchise quarterback, if they feel there is one at the four spot, it's going to be very difficult to be in that good of a spot to be able to trade from four up to whatever it would take to get the quarterback they wanted. I think if they grade one out as a, again, a franchise quarterback, I believe they will make that move because If an organization understands the importance of quarterback, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, and then the follow up, they understand what life is like when you have an elite quarterback. But if they don't grade out a quarterback at that level, then they would be responsible to pass. And really, I would trade that pick back to try to get a couple of picks out of it. Because again, this is a team that should, at the very least, be in a slight retool. Unless they're going to break it down, which is possible. But I think slight retool. But if they're, don't, they're not going to have a quarterback, then it almost leans toward break it down. Because without a quarterback, they're really not going anywhere. The defense is very good, but it's not championship level. They need an offense that, that would be at least as good as their defense.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, speaking defensively, uh, they had 21 turnovers force, which I guess was more than I thought. Just 10 interceptions, though. It was really the pass rush defensively that made the Colts work with 44 sacks. That was top 10 in the league. So I, I think it would be secondary is where you're trying to improve things. Obviously, they had signed a few guys towards the end, all uh, well at the end. The middle stages of free agency last year, I think Stephon Gilmore was kind of the prized uh, one. He had Isaiah Rodgers, s- such a small guy. It's hard to really state that he's developing to that extent. But uh, the secondary continues to be an issue for them. But I would imagine if you're constructing the team the way the Colts want to, that's less important. It's that front set front seven that makes a difference. Which is why I wonder if Nagakwe does get a bigger deal from the Colts, uh, even though he is less of a run stuffer, like you've mentioned. That's why that's why you have to force Buckner. It's a trade of first round pick to get a guy like that who can do a lot of interior stuff overall. What's your overall assessment with the Colts defense before we move on?
2: So what I assessed this year was their sack rate. Was not commensurate with their pressure rate. Pro football focus mm. rate, their pressure rate is 62. It was barely average, but they cashed in sex. Why did they cash in sex? Is the bigger answer. And that's where, while well, watching a the film, in. they had very good coverage. In the passing nature of the NFL, you have to do one of two things you either have to rush the passer or you have to cover. When you cover, your pass rush has more time to get home, vice versa. If the pass rush gets home quick, you don't cover as long. Gilmore it played very well in the zone scheme they had. I don't know that he could play man back as he did today because he's lost a bit. Isaiah Rogers functioned well in the zone. Also, safety Rodney McLeod. They were very pivotal in holding their zone responsibilities and not giving the quarterbacks clean windows. And that's why a team with a low pressure rate was able to cash in on sacks. And then like you mentioned earlier, you got the interior of DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart, Stewart, those guys are amazing, amazing players, not just in their run stopping, but just an ability to press the pocket a bit and to create a, 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 a this is where the quarterback is uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I felt like they missed uh, Matt Eberflus, their defensive coordinator, now the head coach of the Bears, because he was so easily able to generate pass rushing. And I'm thinking, guys, you mentioned um, the defense tackle, but there are so many other players that got four or five sacks over the past two or three years that you're like, oh, wait, when were they playing? They didn't get enough snaps to do that. Wow, you know, they, they just generate a lot of pressure from a lot of different guys. And it made that rotation of defensive linemen more potent than you would imagine just based off the names alone. So credit to Matt Iberflus in that regard, obviously – um, maybe in over his head as a head coach with the Bears. But that's remains to be seen. You know the talent level they have, but I think that's they're missing him a little bit. But the scheme worked effectively well, especially with the zone coverage that you mentioned. I want to get to the Texans uh, before we hit our read, only because there's a little bit less to talk about them. You could say it's uncertainty, or you could just say lack of talent overall. I mean, we're our, it feels like year three or four of this complete teardown of the roster. And there has not been much improvement. So Texans have an estimated 37 million in cap space right now. Their key free agents, uh, not really that many. Chris Moore, fantasy lore at least uh, for guys that were playing past week ten and cared in the PPR league, he, he was adequate enough. Uh, there's Philip Dorsett, who they signed as a bit more speed threat. Didn't hold, do a whole lot more. Scott Quessenberry, the, their center. I, I don't, you know, I don't know what he'll get in the open market, uh, given how he performed this year for the Texans. Uh, Runko I think I'm saying correctly their pass rusher near the team lead in sacks doesn't say a whole lot with the Texans. Uh their defense was pretty good. They tied for 15th in points allowed overall. They allowed 11th fewest passing yards uh, in the league. It was just the league's worst run defense that really <laughs> did them in. I don't I don't know how much that's because teams could just run the ball on them yes. knowing that the offense wasn't going to do a whole lot or if it is a really bad run defense i'll i'll turn that question to you jim you probably have more analysis in that regard
2: yeah it's exactly what it was they were horrible against the run there was there were a couple of occasions where they decided to sell out against one-dimensional teams against the run and they had a little bit of success but for the most part yeah teams were very willing just to take it run it control the game not have any concern that the Houston offense would be able to keep the close the game close or win so therefore it was really a product of just a very very poor run defense pro football focus graded their run defense at 34 like 50 is below average like wave average. a 34 that's how bad they were so yes that was the thing So yeah, it's
1: brutal. I mean, you also play in a division with the Colts and Titans who are very run heavy teams respectively. And you can add into that, you know, it's, it's four games. You could also take out that you're not playing yourself. Who's uh, a little bit run heavy, but just, you know, couldn't generate a whole lot of production too. And say, maybe that's a factor. Yeah. They they were, they were miserably bad. My whole problem is I just feel like this is a lack of talent across the entire board, right? Like they, they drafted Derek Stimley last year, Jalen Petrie, their rookie safety. I think, okay at least uh popped off with turnovers specifically but there's not a lot of big building pieces uh certainly offensively and we'll talk about that in a second but defensively as well too it's just there's not a lot talent wise on that team now this is going to be the third straight year the texans have a new head coach i think this is finally the year in which they have one stick to Ryan's was a pretty darn big hire i think uh getting him as defense coordinator from the tex i'm sorry from the 49ers to be the head coach for the texans I know he's coming home. Um, I am also a little bit concerned that he might be in over his head because there's a lack of talent defensively just across the board other than a few key pieces, essentially
2: you know, it's the old line. uh, You can't always win with X's and O's. You got to have Jimmy's and Joe's and that's <laughs> going to be a big problem. You know, Cliff Kingsbury came in with a great plan, but he really didn't have for much of his time there, the players to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to run four receiver sets and he may have had two receivers. And then, you know, some players that really didn't stick around the league much. And when he went and tried that, it didn't work real well. And that's going to be the problem they're going to run into. They have, Pieced together on defense the last couple of years a lot of veterans on one-year deals two-year mm. deals just basically getting some players out there and they've actually gotten you know decent pressure because guys like jerry hughes kevin pierre yeah. lewis christian Kirksey, they they've mixed in and they are all like professional like veteran types that understand working together but realistically like you said playmakers are missing now we're excited for Jalen Petrie and Derek Stingley and like you said they showed flashes and they were still learning on the job and and they didn't have a lot of support around them which is part of the problem and so but I do believe at least that's a start but you're right they don't have nearly enough to be any type of a factor anytime soon on defense this is a long way away from being a competitive defense I would think
1: yeah it's when you're bringing all those veterans in, you could correct me if I'm wrong here, Jim, but I, I would think you're trying to establish a culture. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, you want to have the culture for the younger guys when you are developing them and getting those core guys in the building. They didn't have those core guys in the building those past two years. Now with a bit more draft picks and able to develop those players, you're seeing – I mean, not Derek Stanley and Jalen Petrie were not developed over this three-year stretch. But you're seeing, I think, the results – of that leadership play out and that's what you're hoping for if nothing else when you are a team as bad as you project to be like the texans been the past few years you're hoping those veterans pop off enough where they get you compensatory pick down the road like if, if we are really just looking at this like uh like like a business okay we're trying to trade this asset in to get a bigger asset let them outperform themselves you see this in the nba all the time uh with lesser teams putting out players to get better draft picks. It's the same type of thing. I know it's 32 teams. You have the salary cap that everyone's playing with. But when you are a team as lowly as the Texans, that kind of ends up being your goal over the past two seasons. So my question to you, Jim, is how do you progress out of that? Like essentially offensively. I mean, Davis Mills experiment, I think we're I think we're probably done with that at this point. He didn't look all that good. There's times toward the end of last season where they're rotating uh, between Davis Mills and other people at quarterback, whether it be effective or not. They were doing it. You have Nico Collins, who really hasn't taken that leap that you're hoping to see. Brandon Cook seems certainly unhappy. John Metch, the third-round pick, unfortunately had cancer, was out this past year. You should see him back, but it's still an asset that hasn't played out. So how do they make that leap
2: offensively from the Texans' perspective? The easy, lazy answer is get a quarterback. <laughs> because, I, you know, we see it all the time. You could, If you could get a good quarterback, it masks so many ills. Look, Nico Collins... I get it, and maybe people think not so good – he had nothing going for him. Davis Mills wasn't getting the ball out there. He is a good boundary receiver. He's very good at 50-50 balls. Very good at the couple times they get in the end zone and they actually throw him the ball. He's very competitive. But they only can run him on a small number of routes. I believe the offense isn't varied enough to be able to do much more with him. But I thought his progression from year one to year two, the numbers were almost identical. But remember, he missed... Four additional games in 2022. He had missed three games in 21 but missed seven last year, and he put up almost identical numbers. He was on pace for an 800-yard season. Now I know we can extrapolate numbers, but based on his second-year arc, they traded up to get him into the third round in 2021. He had at least 33 yards, which whatever it is, in in every game after week one, at mm-hmm. least 44 yards, and five of his last seven. So. And his targets started to spike toward the end. So he is a player who's on the rise. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I do think he could be a functional starter for them. I would be stunned if Brandon Cooks is back. Even if they have to eat the contract, at this point, the money's not an issue. And they they just need, because he'll be a a poor attitude player for them because he doesn't want to be there. And they don't, they don't right now. They don't need that. They don't need him. They're not competing. Cook's wanted to go with the trade deadline. They didn't let him and he was a problem for them after that. So I think they have no choice, but to find a way, take the cap hit and just, you know, cut their losses and go.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought up Brandon Cook. So obviously he was uh, teased as a possible trade deadline acquisition for somebody else. The whole story after the trade deadline, because he didn't get moved again, was that teams were a little bit unwary of giving up a second-round pick and having to pay the guaranteed eighteen million-dollar contract for Brandon Cooks next season? So if the Texans were to trade Brandon Cooks, he will cost eighteen million for another team, I and mean, like they will eat a portion of uh, of this cap. Obviously, it will hurt them. But like you mentioned, it doesn't really matter for where they're at uh, team-wise at the moment and talent-wise. Like you'll eat those. Uh, You'll eat the dead money, especially to be able to get an asset back in the case of Brandon Cooks. I think the NFL recognizes where Brandon Cooks is at, though, and they're not going to be able to get an asset. So you're going to have to give him up in the same vein as Amari Cooper last year, like the Cowboys did to the Browns, for a fourth-round pick. I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Cooks gets traded for even less. That's how depreciated I think he is as an asset at the moment. So it's great. John Metchie might come back. Nico Collins might continue to develop. But you've lost a veteran leader, even if he's not being won right now, uh, in that locker room for next to nothing. I think a really poor case of management over the past two years to give him that extension to start with, but also to not make the move this deadline too with Brandon cooks. I think it's been a problem. I wanted to double back to the money part again, estimated 37 million in cap space at the moment. It's not so much this year, but there's Laramie Tunsil, Desmond King, AJ Khan, their guard who's been pretty good, at least uh, relatively speaking. And then corner Stephen Nelson, all free agents next year. Stephen Nelson was obviously a free agent signing. Desmond King came over from the Titans as well, too. Uh, but that was kind of what your point earlier they're getting more of these veteran guys establish a culture at some point you want to progress from really bad to oh there might be something here and those guys who helped build that culture wise would imagine to be a factor do you feel like any of them are going to sign extensions I, like maybe if you overpay steven nelson who's bounced around the league but i think every one of these players could get bigger deals uh on better teams Next year, and just won't even take an extension. or Am I crazy in thinking that?
2: Not crazy at all. With so many players' contracts up at the same time, they could franchise one. They could force one player to stay in town. Titus Howard, probably. Um, yeah, probably yeah the right tackle, tackle, right? Yeah, keep your tackle. But but outside of that, you're right. The other players are going to walk for better situations. If you. If you could leave Houston, you're going to leave Houston. Unless there's something drastic that happens, and let's say they draft a quarterback with their number two pick and he happens to be an immediate sensation, well, then maybe there's a little bit of hope and optimism and maybe people stay. But as of right now, yeah, I imagine there are people going to just be walking out the door as soon as they can go.
1: Yeah, I think changing the atmosphere around the Houston Texans is going to be D'Amico Ryan's biggest task. Even if they're losing – Uh, as many games as they had the past couple seasons. If there feels like there's positive momentum, that's better than we've talked about during this stretch, especially post Deshaun Watson, because there just hasn't been. I mean, the cycling of head coaches, the lack of talent across the board. Again, I was fine with the idea of bringing Davis Mills back as your starter for year two and seeing what could happen. Uh, Maybe you struck gold in the same way the Eagles did with their second round pick in Jalen Hurts. That's not the case. More so than the Colts, I think the Texans need to make a, a splash in that quarterback, if nothing else, to change the momentum like he talked about. The one thing that was positive this season was running back Damon Pierce uh, from Florida. I know he got injured towards the end of the season. was a revelation for a lot of fantasy managers who were getting him later on in the draft, and yet still the Texans were the 31st team in rushing yards. So it's like as great as Pierce did, they were still so bad. Part of that's Davis Mills. Part of that's that teams are able to run so effectively on the Texans that they were able to limit possessions overall and less yardage total. So what level of optimism should fantasy managers have for Damian Pierce, given the offense as the Texans have it currently constructed?
2: I still think there's a lot of reason for excitement with Damian Pierce. The reason I, I didn't draft him high. The offensive line was horrible. And I'm like, well, what is he going <laughs> to do? But that line was as bad as advertised They, they graded out horribly. Their run blocking was less than 50 for pro football focus, yet Damian Pierce got it done most weeks. Now, he missed the last four games of the season with that ankle injury, but and he probably did hit a wall in his last four games. Now, there were a couple of tough, game, tough opponents in there. Tennessee was in there, which didn't help, but he only averaged three yards a carry in his last four games. But the rest of the season, the other nine games, he was like 4.67, and his... 13 games, I mean, you we're looking at a guy, all you know, 940 yards on the ground, almost in four touchdowns. He, he was a very solid player, and he was good as a receiver, caught 30 of his 39 targets, another buck 65, not a lot of yards for reception, but there wasn't a lot to work with. His broken tackle rate was 88th percentile, so he was a beast for them, and really, after week two, it was 80 or more rush yards, six of seven games, and over 100 scrimmage yards in a six-game span. So he was really on a great path. Like I said, he probably hit that rookie wall. It's hard for college players often to come in, and he was the only player they had to really worry about. And when they focused more on right. him, it, it was tough. But I think with a you know another offseason to prepare for what the he knows the workload is going to be, 5'10", 218 is a really good size for, for a running back to be durable and to be able to handle 20 carries a game.
1: Yeah, I think that's the big key for me. And I would need to see a lot of changes in the Texans' offense. I don't know if it's offensive line or quarterback or even just scheme. Uh, I think even like if if they were to trade Brandon Cooks, that makes me have a lower opinion on Damon Pierce because that's one of the few guys that I know would consistently produce a defense that had to worry about. You take that out of the equation, fine. By default, Nico Collins might have to. But I think you could say uh, it's very easy for defenses to collapse on both those scenarios. So lot has to be positive in that regard for me to have some optimism for Damien Pierce. I really do think the Texans are going to invest in a backup running back as well, too. Um, I've talked about this a lot on, on Sirius X Friday show with Mario that I, I believe th- they will be a team that draft somebody. You, you can't really draft somebody higher than Damien Pierce because you think that will take him away as the starter. And I don't, I think they want to have that little bit of optimism that came out of the season. So let's just say a fourth or fifth round pick later on, or a veteran, not like um, Jamal Williams, because I know he's a free agent this year, but think back to when Jamal Williams joined the lines. that level of veteran, like a Deonta Foreman or somebody of that regard. And I, Foreman was on the Texans and let him go. It's so not the perfect example, but you get what I mean. Like, I, I think that's the person they'll bring in to share some of that workload um, to hopefully avoid that rookie wall from being hit again in year two or to have him not miss games because of the ankle. He might be 5'10", 218, but it's still tough to give him... Th- you know, twenty-five, thirty carries a game. We'll talk about with we'll talk about that with Travis Etienne and the Jaguars in a bit. Like that just makes me concerned when you have anybody having that kind of workload in today's NFL.
2: Yeah, they're going to have to at least keep it somewhat moderate, but he should handle a solid workload. I do agree with you. Fourth or fifth round, you bring in another back, a different style of back. You, yeah. you want know, just maybe more of a receiving back, a change of pace, a breather back. And that's all you're looking for. You're looking to spot him eight to 10 carries or eight to 10 touches, I should say. Eight to 10 touches a game. Pierce should be able to handle the load. But I think, yeah, they're in good shape at running back.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the style, right? Adara and Gubawale got snaps towards the end. Royce Freeman really operate as a receiver at times for them, Rex Burkett, the same way. It's it very clear that they want that type of receiver, and you'll have Damian Pierce run the ball, which totally fine. Uh, obviously, the one bright spot for the Texans this season. We'll have to see what they do with that number two overall pick. I think that that's more intriguing to me than will the Bears trade Justin Fields. Uh, as a Packers fan, I hope – Bears continue to do stupid things, and that would be training Justin Fields. We'll get to the NFC North, though, later in this uh, development. I think the AFC South, especially with the number two and four pick, is a lot of intrigue in that regard. Um, I want to get a word from our sponsors, Underdog. The 2022 NFL season obviously is closing and is done now. Sorry, uh, Eagles fans, but you can already draft for 2023 on Underdog Fantasy right now. It's the easiest place to face- play fantasy football is on Underdog. And right now, you can draft Underdogs way too early, best ball formats. In drafts against your friends and fellow roto users, just head to, or I guess listeners too, just head to Underdog F- uh, Fantasy, the App Store, or Google Play Store, sign up with promo code RWNFL, and join online You'll get your first deposit doubled up to $100. You'll also get a free six-month subscription with roto That's right, free six months. Obviously, we're gearing up towards baseball season. That's big for a lot of people. NBA really gearing into the playoffs as well, too. Uh, a lot to go on at the roto site itself. And you'll have best ball tools available. I think we already have projections out for best ball at the moment uh, and, and right in line there with Underdog. So just type in uh, promo code RWNFL and Underdog. Get that uh, double first-party match up to $100 and a free six-month trial or, or subscription to Riddleware itself.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.
1: Okay, so let's. There's some intrigue with the Titans, and I don't know if you saw this report today, Jim, uh, that a few ESPN reports, I think Jeff Darlington of ESPN, specifically mentioned that Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback that likely could be cut this offseason. And I, I don't know if he had the numbers necessarily correct, but it would open up $27 million in cap space if Tannehill was designated as a post-June 1 cut this year. That would cut for just $9.6 million in dead money this year. And then I think it would be another nine point six or like a ten uh, following next year. But the idea would be that you'd designate him for a post-June 1 cut. You could still plan to address the quarterback position and tell Tannehill and announce everyone that it to be cut later on. Uh, the move just can't officially happen until post June 1st. The Titans have 21 million in cap space as is the only issue. They have some talent that it might be leaving. So Austin Hooper, uh, not so much guard, Nate Davis. Okay. Uh, linebacker, David long could be an interesting guy that I would imagine they would like to bring back. Taylor Luan could get cut as well to the left tackle. And in fact, he said himself, he believes the Titans will cut him. They'll save $14 million in that case. And then you could also cut Robert Woods and save $12.6 million. That'll be interesting when we talk about two. But Jeffrey Simmons, their stud defense end is due for an extension. I would imagine they'll bring him back because the Titans were 7-10 this year, only a game away from winning the AFC South Division, despite, I think, uh, underperforming relative to expectations. Uh, do you feel like the Titans blow this up? Like, Is it time to cut Ryan Tannehill?
2: Well, that's a tough call because they still could compete. If they were not decimated by injuries on the defensive side of the football, they would have won that division and it would not have been close. They would have won by a couple of games. And Mike Vrabel, he did everything he could with the players he had on the field. And I can't see Mike Vrabel. I, I know he's the coach, not the GM, but I can't right. see him going idly and saying, oh yeah, blow it up. They, can compete. And Derrick Henry's window will be closed somewhat soon. Maybe this year, maybe next year, but not long. They have him. They still will get those defensive players back healthy from injury. They can be a defensive run-based team. I really do think they need a quarterback though. And Tannehill is fine enough for what they want to do. Now, if they could get somebody similar, which is possible, you could, get, you could get a journeyman in there, I think, and maybe do – I'm not saying – somebody like Case Keenum a few years ago, like sure. that, could step in and do what Tannehill did. So I do think there's possibility for that. So I, I, maybe they do let him go for the money. But I do think they need to keep as much of their team intact as possible of the core of the team because, again, defensively and running, and Traylon Burks, we'll talk about in a minute, they do have enough to compete before Henry falls off.
1: Do you feel like Robert Woods would be a guy that cut? I mean, like, does, yeah, does that Bob. count as the core to them? Okay, so Taylor Luwan Robert Woods, 26000000 million. Let's just say you cut Ryan Tannehill. That's about $43 now total. Bud Dupree is in a weird spot, too. They signed him to that big deal uh, post the Steelers. It has hardly been healthy enough to perform, but the times that he has been healthy, he hasn't really lived up to that kind of contract. I think if they cut Bud Dupree, that saved an additional $10 million. They wouldn't need to do that post-June uh, first shenanigans unless they wanted to. But you're talking about 70 plus million just there already, and then there's the possibility to do other cap shenanigans. I know that everyone talks about Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets or the Raiders. The level in which they would unlock that Titans offense if Aaron Rodgers went to Tennessee, I think, is one that I'd consider. You know, like that, that's I know the the Case kingdom, I thought Tyrod Taylor that was the first one that came to my mind. If you're operating in that veteran area, but there's a different echelon of offense that could be unlocked with a player caliber above Ryan Tannehill and I think while Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo aren't that same guy that might be an interesting one that I don't think anyone's talking about at least in that sense
2: you know one problem with being the quarterback of Tennessee right now is this is no longer the dominant offensive line it was a few years ago Mm. they were horrific at pass blocking they were passable in run blocking and it stayed that way most of the season. But the run, I mean, the pass blocking was just incredibly bad. And at this point, I don't think Aaron Rodgers would want to play on a team where he was going to be getting hit way more than he needs to. And some of the older quarterbacks, I think we saw with Brady this year, getting the ball out so quick because it seemed like he just didn't want to get hit. Well, this all said, it's a great idea because it would be a run team. You'd have a play-action game. But, man, unless that offensive line was in better shape than it is, that's a tough sell for a veteran quarterback. But I get the mindset because you have a big-body Traylon Burks. You have Chig who's been a – to me, he is going to be a very good player at tight end. Mm. Very athletic. You detach him from the formation. He even lined up split out sometimes, and he was successful there. So they definitely have some pieces. Kyle Phillips didn't really play much as he was hurt, but he was projecting to be a good slot receiver. We don't know if he will be be but they really did like the idea before he got hurt of that so there is stuff to work with but um but as you said it's a good idea and garoppolo you know what possibly but what they really need is somebody with a little bit of mobility with that line and Tannehill really is the type of guy tyrod taylor like you said i think that would be a good lateral move where you save a lot of money from the 27 million you get away from and you can downgrade but he's good enough to do what they need to do
1: I don't know how they go back to Malik Willis in the event that they cut Ryan Tanhill. That was such a dreadful, even for a third-round pick standards, uh, debut as a rookie over the course of the time that he, he did start. Like, when, when Josh Dobbs is immediately better than you, and I know he's a veteran and has been around the league a while, that's just like the talent that Malik Willis is supposed to have, that's that's too much of a question mark for me. So I, I don't think the Titans go back to that, especially if they cut Ryan Tanhill. It's not to start Malik Willis. I think it'll be to uh, really dive through that veteran market real quick. Uh, you know, I had I had mentioned Rodgers in a bit to do the segue to Traylon Burks because that was Traylon Burks' breakout game at Thursday night contest against the Packers, which effectively ended their postseason opportunity. Burks went insane. The Packers overcommitted the run like the Titans want you to do. And he was dominant. I mean, catching pass over Jay Alexander, going across the middle. I mean, when Traylon Burks was healthy towards the end of the season, he was one of the better receivers. And this rookie class was really good. You could argue that they shouldn't have traded away A.J. Brown. They shouldn't have. But at the same time, maybe there's an opportunity for Traylon Burks to put in his name in the same vein as Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Drake London, who all really performed up to their draft status this year.
2: Yeah, Burks did look the part when he had opportunity. Now, injuries derailed his season. He had an early season injury. He had that concussion on the touchdown catch against Philly. Mm-hmm. He had that one catch for however many yards, and that was a touchdown. Got knocked out of the game, missed the following two games. But he had been on a groove. In a groove, you would talk about the Green Bay game. So he has a 7 for a buck, 11, a 4 for 70. Then he gets the concussion and then he comes back and he did have a goose egg in the game back, but then he goes four for 66 with Joshua Dobbs. So he showed he is, he uses his big body extremely well. He not only could present a very good target for the quarterback, but he showed great ability to move with the ball in his hands. For a man his size, it was very impressive. 6'2", 225, and he is navigating traffic. There was a play, he he took a running play, and he was very effective on that. So he has a very diverse skill set. He can get downfield well, so he is a player who could take a massive jump. And in fantasy drafts, he may be an injury player, discount because of the games he missed people look at the numbers and say yeah not so much this guy is worth the draft pick that they spent on him
1: i suspect um like when we do these mock drafts and we get closer to the nfl draft season you'll see people project the titans take a receiver at number 11 overall uh i i have a strong suspicion that will not be the case i think like you mentioned offensive line specifically sort of like how the seahawks took uh charles cross the tackle last year right around the, I think it was number nine overall yeah, nine, then, nine. The, nine or 10 whatever like that, that same spot like I think that's what the Titans will probably operate doing especially uh, if they do choose to cut Taylor one I just thought it was funny um, I think I had it here that they the Titans were the best run defense in the league and the worst pass defense in the league they're literally juxtaposition of both of those that will be an area of improvement and if they do have 70 million in cap space they could be players like I, I think the Titans the possibility even if they choose to cut Ryan Tannehill, could easily vault back into the AFC South AFC's top division spot. If for no other reason, I don't think the Colts get there. And I know the Texans won't get there. And I think there's there's opportunity for the Jaguars to move down depending on how the season plays out. If nothing else, those two will be competing um, for the crown for much of 2023 and will really largely depend on what they do throughout frequency. I want to talk about the Jaguars too. Obviously, 9-8 and eight this season, won the big game against the Titans uh, in Week 18. I was a little bit surprised with how bad their cap situation was. I don't know... If, you're aware of this, Jim, or if it was just kind of me falling into a lull in the feel-good story of Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. The Jaguars are currently $22 million over the cap, as is. You also have to sign Evan Ingram, Juwan Taylor. I don't know if they end up choosing to bring him back, depending on his deal. Uh, but like Arden Key also was a key pass rusher for them in this uh, research, too. There's not a lot of ways that you could just easily get out of that cap hole, either. Uh, Shaquille Griffin could be cut and save about $13 million. There's a possibility that they could cut Jamal Agnew, too. I know that they love him uh, to hand the ball off going right to left and then get tackled for two yards or fumble a key catch Bumble. against the, the Chiefs as well, too. Uh, but, like, I, I just – you don't pay kick returners $6 million when you are a division team, like a, a top of the division team. I understand paying Jamal Agnew that when you're at the bottom of the AC South, but not the top. So I could see Agnew being cut, and then you could do – uh, like a fifth-year extension for Josh Allen that would free up some of this pretty big cap hit and, and base that money down the road. The same goes for an extension for Evan Ingram too. I think the first part that I want to ask Jim: Do you think they bring Evan Ingram back? My thought is yes, especially towards the end of the season. But I guess I don't know what your uh,
2: your thoughts are. It's going to be money, and, and here's the joke: How do you have a quarterback on a rookie deal without like ten stars on the team, and you're over the cap? It it makes no sense. Now Christian Kirk's deal certainly he played well yeah, for them, right. but man, they paid up for him. But but is where their money's going? I know there's money invested in the offensive line. I think Cam
1: Robinson was the big uh, re-signing as well too, which you know yeah. mean, he, he didn't he, he played fine, but I don't know if he played to the level in which you're hoping, given the contract he got.
2: So, difficult, yes. Now, Evan Ingram, they just understood how to use him. He's faster than people in the middle of the field, and they basically used his speed horizontally, which is something that they never figured out in New York, and they tried to run him vertically, and it never really worked. But he was a great weapon for them. I think... I still believe, though, Trevor Lawrence learned a lot this year. You have to throw his rookie year away. The coaching nightmare that they had, that year was a waste. But I saw over the course of the season him grow. I think that they're obviously going to have to upgrade his weapons, and they do get Calvin Ridley, and that's another story. Mm -hmm. We have time, hopefully, to talk about that. But he needs weapons, so you really can't let Ingram walk. Because anything else you're going to get to be more expensive. My guess is a tight end typically doesn't break the bank, and Ingram's been around a while, so it's not, and it's not like he has such a dominating season that he's going to be getting you know seventeen yeah, million on the market. So they yeah, got to keep him.
1: That's that's a good point. He hasn't really established himself in the NFL. I know he's a first round pick way back when with the Giants, but he really hadn't done anything up until this season. So you theoretically want to stick around. I like the Trevor Lawrence call because that was really the big deal. Even if the Jaguars had won the AFC South and had looked competitive against the Chiefs in the divisional round, you would have said, as a Jaguars fan, this was a successful season because Trevor Lawrence looked every bit of the top-end quarterback a lot of us assumed two years ago when he came out for the, the draft from, from Clemson. The, the quick and decisive passes were really key. And it's, it's kind of what I felt like Cliff Kingsbury wanted his Cardinals offense to be, whether Kyler Murray could do it or was more explosive rolling around or whatever else. like This was the the high-octane quick decision, move the ball, use use the horizontal part of things very effectively as well, uh, offensively. I, I loved the offense, especially really like week four, week five on. Obviously, the Jaguars won five of the last six games. Their one loss came against the you – know, Cob- or, I'm sorry, they, they won five of the last six games. All those were against below 500 teams, though, save for the Cowboys, and the Cowboys, you know, we saw that happen uh, in the divisional round as well, too. Inconsistent at best, I think is what we could call them, and certainly defensively. I, I was really impressed with Trevor Lawrence. I also think it's fair to say they didn't play really quality competition, and they will now. I mean, you, you have the hardest uh, seeding when you are number one in the AFC South Division. So I'll be really curious to see if this uh, momentum continues on for the Jaguars in year three. Real quick with Travis Etienne, because I want to talk about that, too. He got way more involved in the rushing attack after James Robinson was traded. Almost like they literally had nobody else. And now they really put your Michael hasty out there, Snoop Connor, their fifth round pick from this year. got a few snaps, but it was really ETN and ETN alone. That was getting a lot of work. And he did great. The problem is he kind of got banged up towards the end of the season, a little bit more ineffective. Given how deep this running back class is, I would assume much like the Texans, the Jaguars will at least either bring in a veteran or, or draft somebody to spell Travis Etienne. At the very least, I, I was seeing Etienne go in like the middle second rounds of uh, current or active underdog best balls right now. That's that's pretty darn high for me. I feel like for his workload, which I think will fall off this year.
2: He really doesn't get used as a receiver enough. That was the stunning part to Mm. me. I assumed he was going to be a big-time NFL receiver. He didn't have more than three catches in any game all year. And he never reached 33 receiving yards in his last 15 games, including the playoffs. So that was the one thing that stunned me. Now, his effectiveness as a runner... He actually was great. So he had this five week stretch and this is right when Robinson went, weeks five through nine, he averaged six point two yards per carry. That was insane, and then he had another great stretch weeks 15 through 17 where he was 5.88 yards per carry. I mean, these are eye-popping numbers, and then, of course, he ran into Tennessee in week 18, and nobody runs on the Titans, and that was a week where I told people, take the under on his prop. That was an easy one, and I don't don't know if he got 20 yards in that game. If he did, it was barely, but you don't run on Tennessee. It's just as simple as it is, but I think overall – on the season he was extremely impressive his volume was very inconsistent there was a while like you said at the Robinson went where he was getting upwards of 23 25 carries but then we would see him get nine or 10 and so it was all over the board, there was never consistency to his role. Now, he struggled, obviously, in both games against Tennessee. He ended up with two yards per carry against them in his two games. And then Indianapolis in week two was a great run defense. He had a 9 for 20. But really, everybody else he played, he was a he was good as a runner with the opportunities he was given. I do think he's an elite running back. And his size, at 5'10", 215, I think that BMI is enough for him to – and maybe that's why they're not using him as much as a receiver. I think they feel they can use him enough as a as an interior runner, and they did.
1: He runs so upright that I always get a little bit concerned with that. Mm-hmm. And obviously the the foot fracture, which kept him out his rookie season, that's that's a little bit concerning too. We haven't seen that. I think like in the history of the NFL in the past twenty years, somebody continue to have the workload that Etienne did and be effective. And maybe that was on the Jaguars' mind towards the later half of the season, where he talked about that inconsistent workload. It's almost like games against the Titans or Colts where you, not that you're waving the white flag or giving up in the run game, but when you know it's going to be hard, I would rather Jermunkle and Stoop Connor get the carries then when it's more or less going to be the same result and you have Etienne uh, save for more of these high-octane games. Either way, really impressed with what he did in what was his de facto rookie season in a situation that was ever-evolving and certainly changing even more post-James Robinson trade to the Jets. The other part I really want to mention you, you talked about a little bit earlier too is Calvin Ridley. So, if you recall, I mean, people might have forgot this. Ridley was one of the trades during the trade deadline, a pretty active NFL trade deadline. Jaguars gave him a second round pick for him. Marvin Jones is a free agent this year, given the cap situation the Jaguars are in, and the assumption that they'll probably try to bring back Evan Ingram. There's no way in which Marvin Jones is coming back. I I don't know. I mean, Zay Jones was pretty darn effective, but. You're, it's a hard thing to be when you're paying at least three receivers at a different tier. And Calvin Ridley, before he was suspended this year for gambling, wanted a new deal with the Falcons. I can't imagine that Jaguars will give him one just on principle. But, I mean, this is a kind of a tenuous situation, too, that they walked themselves into and traded premium draft capital to get him.
2: So Ridley's in a tough spot from a negotiating standpoint. The suspension, you know, that puts him in a really rough spot. I think he has to work his way back in a good grace. So I don't think he'll be clamoring for any big painting until if happens at the end of the season. But he's already aging. He's already going to be 28 this season. Hmm. And, and that's not optimal. And it was funny because he had a couple of years of the 800-yard range. And then he had the blow-up season, the 13, 74, and 9 touchdowns in 2020 but that was, you know, maybe it was the, you know, number two to Julio. I mean, you know, what do you do? Right. And then the, then he had that going for him. Think of Juju Smith Schuster. Right. And then all of a sudden Julio leaves and he only played Ridley like five games that next season, And he said he had some mental health issues. And I know he got shut down after that, but realistically he was not performing well. He had 51 to 80 yards in those games, but he Mm -hmm. was the alpha for them on a Matt Ryan offense that wanted to pass. And he had the one touchdown, but it was not an impressive four game stretch of 2021 at all. So that said, we don't know what we have with Calvin Ridley. His last time he was, you know, Ordinary. He's good, but he was ordinary, and he's older now. He's missed almost two full seasons. like Again, played four games, so that's not very, very strong case. And his age isn't helping him. He was always a touchdown scorer. Twenty-six touchdowns at forty-four games. So he's always been that. I don't know if he could be a number one, and if they're anticipating to be a number one, that could be problematic. Zay Jones would benefit again. Because if Zay Jones is still there and they don't get somebody else, we saw that when he gets the balls thrown his way, he could do enough with them.
1: Yeah, it's a good group of weapons. Kelvin Ridley, Zay Jones, uh, Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk. Uh, you can do a whole, whole lot worse from a receiving perspective than those four. There's a lot of money tied up in a situation that uh, does that put you over the Chiefs? Does that put you over, uh, you know, the Bengals? Certainly not. I think I know those teams are constructed way better and way differently, but, I mean that's what we're talking about when you have guys like Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen standing in your way in the AFC. Is what do we do to make this team better? And I don't think it is quite investing in twenty-eight year old receivers who haven't quite hit their peak yet, or if they do, are going to be on the wrong side of the peak very soon. So that yeah, it's it's a really big conundrum. And again, I was not familiar with how dire their cap situation was. Again, my uh, negative twenty-two million at the moment. I would assume there'll be cap shenanigans that occur. Josh Allen's uh, fifth-year extension, that, that's the easiest one to be able to manipulate that in whatever way possible they need to. It'll be something to monitor. I, I, w- I initially wrote down that I thought the Jaguars could uh, dive into the, the the quarterback market, for example, especially if they do cut Shaquille Griffin. I don't think you get the upper echelon, which is a little bit deeper. That's the Jamal Dean. I know James Bradbury, who held in the Super Bowl. That shouldn't be held against him. He's one of the best, the best corners and certainly of this class. Patrick Peterson, Sean Murphy, Bunting, they all might be way higher than the Jaguars' price tag. Maybe you can get a veteran Marcus Peters, like Isaiah Oliver. I, like those, that's the level in which you're talking about a, a secondary that allowed the 28th most passing yards in the league to possibly improve on. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned in that regard.
2: Yeah, it's very concerning because, like you said, their cap situation, it's going to be very hard to think they're going to get an elite corner in there. And obviously their draft position isn't great because of the successful season they had. So that's not helping them either. So, look, they may have to play a lot of zone, and they may have to hope that their pass rush, they had, you know, their pressure rate was up near the upper echelon of the league. So they can pressure, and they play zone on the back end, and just hope they get enough players galvanizing together that's what they're going to have to hope for because I don't think they're necessarily getting a big name corner in there.
1: Yeah. The Trayvon Walker number one overall pick has to kind of develop into what Miles Garrett was in year two and year three for the Browns, I think, to really help that secondary and aid it a little bit better, or you just crush it in the first, second, third round, like you mentioned, but uh, something to consider. All right, well, that does it for us on the uh, Wednesday edition of the World War NFL Podcast, brought to you by Underdog. Jim and I will be back next week, taking on a different division, possibly two, as we gear up for uh, mid-March, when free agency kicks off, and as we get to the NFL draft as well, too, and see these teams. So we'll continue to really analyze the teams, go over the Caps situation, what we've seen this past year if things can improve if nothing else i feel like uh, we're higher at least trajectory on the titans a little bit lower on the jaguars we'll have to see what the colts and texans do so that's uh fair enough thanks everyone for listening again we'll be back again next week
4: everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in